morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Steve Williamson uh, here. Sitting across from me is co-host Karen McClellan. Karen, say hello. Hello. <laughs> and we have a guest in the studio today, um, Stephen Hanks, uh, who's going to be talking about a, a door fundraiser. Stephen's on the uh, board the board of uh, door, the um, board of directors of door. And we have Gary LeMaster. We used to call him Silent Gary in the old days. Uh, because he provided us with all our brains, you know. So if we were reciting long statistical lists, it wasn't uh, my old co-host and I who came up with them. It was it was Gary, and I remember sometimes he would just sit over there and keep an eye on us to make sure that we get things right. But uh, Gary, you're there. I am. Good morning. Good morning. I, I can bore anyone with statistics. So. <laughs> I, I, you're a master at that. You know, you have your degree in it, and and you, you know, and the problem is that that you know too much, Gary. You understand? <laughs> that's that's and you, you embarrass us. Okay. That's that's a danger these days. You know, it it, it means that you're perpetually unhappy. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, okay. There we go. All right, let's let's go uh, let's go to Stephen Hanks. He's going to talk about a I think a very original um fundraiser by the Democrats of the Red Rocks. Democrats of the Red Rocks, as you folks know, are, are uh, support our show and have for many years and we really do appreciate that. Um this is a really new at least to me idea, Stephen. W- tell us a little bit about what this fundraiser well, um, as you know, this is given this is an election year, uh, DOOR's activities and need for funds ramps up exponentially for all the activities that we want to do for canvassing and for supporting candidates. So we, we wanted to come up with some new fundraising ideas beyond what we were already doing, like a picnic every year or raffles or whatever they've done in the past. So last month we had uh, we actually showed a film at the Sedona International Film Festival, Stacey Abrams' All In documentary, mm-hmm. which was very well attended, and we raised a nice amount of money for that. But we need to keep going. So um, a bunch of us on the Door fundraising group came up with this idea of doing a golf scramble, and it's going to be on July 9th at the Canyon Mesa Country Club in Village of Oak Creek which is um, on uh, 50, 500 Jacks Canyon Road. It's a ni- beautiful nine-hole course. It is a beautiful yeah. course. Um, and so people that are, are – and it's for any uh, level of expertise in golf. So the nine-hole course makes it a lot more accessible for people that are not experienced in golf. They don't have to worry about playing 18 holes. And um, So – it's the the fee is ninety dollars, and with the nine holes, you get a, a lunch after uh, in the in the uh, complex of Canyon Mesa. Um, it's starting at eight thirty, and check in is at eight o'clock, so we can register everybody. And the way you sign up now, we're going to have a maximum of forty players. Um, if we get thirty six, that'll be terrific. 
and the way you sign up is um, the best way is to send ninety dollars to uh, the Democrats of the Red Rocks, P.O. Box eleven sixty five, Sedona A Z eight six three three nine, and that'll just come to our office and. You know, as soon as we get uh, the maximum number of players, uh, the deadline is, uh, by the way, is June 20th. But once we get to the June 20th date, we, we might be able to extend it a few more days. So give us the, the address again, uh, Stephen. It's, uh, it's, it's the Canyon Mesa Country Club at 500 Jacks Canyon Road. And what about, I mean, the contact information. The, the, post office box. Yes, yeah. It's the Democrats in the Red Rocks office. The post office box is 1165 Sedona 86339. Can you explain a little bit about what a golf scramble is? This is not like a competition. It's, a, you it's know, not like, like how it works. Yeah. For, it's so, not like egg scramble. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, well, this is what makes it really, really great for people that aren't experienced at golf and don't want to feel intimidated by better players. So you get the foursomes together. Each foursome starts out on one of the holes. So it's not like everybody goes to the first tee and follows the next one. There's a group of four on all nine holes. And instead of everybody playing through all their shots to get to the green, when the foursome hits their first shot, whoever has the, the furthest to the green, that's where everybody drops their ball for the second shot. And then you and then you subsequently do that again, so it doesn't take five so, hours to play. So if you're the worst in the group, it doesn't matter. Everybody yeah. starts with the best in the group. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. can pretend you, you get that real long yeah. shot. Yeah. Every, everybody's Tiger Woods in this event. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You can, you can yeah. all pretend you can golf under par. That's right. <laughs> and then and we we're trying to get some prizes together for the for the group that wins. So um, so it it should be fun. It, like I said, it's starting at eight thirty. We'll probably be done in two hours. So it'll be before it gets really hot uh, in, in, on a July day, and and then we'll all convene and uh, have some lunch uh, afterwards, and hopefully get a few more members to door yeah. out of this. That sounds like a a great idea. I mean, we just went through a fundraising campaign ourselves. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's difficult. I couldn't think of anything different or original at all. So that's why I want to make sure you were on the show with us yeah. because uh, I, I, you know, Karen, I couldn't think of anything, you know. Um, anyway, we, well, it's our, our fundraiser went yeah. well anyway, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Now, this is a year, folks, where everybody is competing, particularly Democrats are competing for your, for your dollars. Right. And I would say about Door that they support everybody from the running for state offices down mm -hmm. to um, the um, city council uh, offices. School board. School board. Karen's <laughs> running for the school board, so we definitely have to have that. Um, uh, we've, we've got um, uh, Scott Jablow is going to be is running for mayor. Scott's going to be on the show on the 20th. And... Um, then Sandy uh, uh, Moriarty, who's uh, our current mayor, will be on the mm -hmm. 27th. So we'll have both mayoral candidates, and we're going to get the um, uh, council candidates. I'm really glad you're supporting these local candidates because mm -hmm. we're 
in one of those things where the far right is making another move in Sedona. Mm And they always come up with something new, and we're going to hear all the lies about how terrible home rule is, and that you shouldn't be able to control your own money. I mean, it's a terrible thing. So, you know, get ready for it, yeah. folks. Mm-hmm. And, and check on the League of Women Voters has got candidate forms for mayors and city councils, not just for Sedona, but for uh, for Cottonwood and Camp Verde mm-hmm. and Clarkdale as well. So if you look on the League of Women Voters of Northern Arizona on their website, just Google that, and you'll see lists of the dates for those different uh, candidate mm-hmm. forms. They have a space there you can send in your questions ahead of time. And so there'll be forms for all of those. And that will include everybody. You know, what we're doing is, is more the Democratic yeah. candidates, the progressive candidates. Yeah, I mean, we decided to pick what we thought the two, were the two best uh, candidates for mayor. And we have a, we're basically, we've, we've got, I think we'll have four uh, candidates for the city council mm-hmm. on the show uh, so that you folks will get a chance to listen to them at some length. Uh, we've done one show already with three of the council candidates. A bunch of very, very smart guys. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing being in a room with those guys. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, you know, we've got rocket scientists and and business entrepreneurs. Uh, I, my little website business was not very entrepreneurial, although, you know, it did okay for a while. Um, Steve, if I can add one more thing about this one. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, if anybody out there listening has a business that they're looking to do some promotion or advertising. Um, we're, we're offering a sponsorship of each of the holes where you can put a sign at the T for, uh, for your business for $100 a hole. Right now, I'm sponsoring all the holes based on using my red. I have a new business called Red Rocks Writer where I offer writing and editing services. So right now, I'm... I'm sponsoring all the holes, but I'm happy to give one of them or two of them up if right. anybody wants and, to do that. I, I think you're, you're, um, you're writing and producing stuff for <clears throat> our competitors in the, on the far right, right? Um, well, against, against them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just got back from New York. I hosted uh, and produced a fundraising show for Democratic candidates with 14 cabaret singers and we raised a couple of thousand dollars that we're going to divide among uh, some of the candidates. There's, there's two things that, uh, about politics. One is when you take a political position, you move away from being somebody who's like sponsoring a charity that's just all good works. Right. And you're taking a political position. And you're say, so for, in gun violence, we're you know, opposed to it and, and we're discussing in a minute what to do about it. The other thing is, is the the... Fundraising is just what you have to do in mm-hmm. politics. And uh, I, we know from talking to the Democratic candidates personally, it just in, takes an incredible amount of money to run for office. It's a shame. Right. Nobody likes yeah. it, I don't think. And it um, takes an incredible amount of time to raise that money. We all have heard stories from, you know, from Ann Kirkpatrick when she was our congresswoman, uh, the amount of time you spend once you, after you're elected, sitting in an office removed from Congress, making phone calls to raise funds right. for your next election. And it's just, it's un- yeah, unfortunate. It takes a lot of a lot of time that we wish all those people could devote well, to what we elected them for. And, and not only that, the, the challenges on the don- on the donator side is that, as you know, you're inundated with emails from every single candidate for money. And so even when you're a committed 
uh, Democrat and you want to support these uh, candidates or organizations, you know, how, how do you how do you space out the money? You know, it's like one of the pitches I made to the people that went to the uh, fundraiser in New York was, look, if you if you support Katie Hobbs, if you support Stacey Abrams, if you support any of these candidates that are running and you want to donate money, well, take take that limited amount of money you have come to our show and we'll send that money to the candidates. So, um, yeah, that's really the challenge is that there's so much competition for a limited number of dollars. I think that that's really um, sums it up. Yeah. And it, you just have to be in, in politics. You just have to take a couple of things into account. One mm-hmm. that you're not going to be seen by a, as a good guy by everybody, whatever your position mm-hmm. is. And the second is that you're going to end up fundraising if you're going to try to do anything like running for office. Well, on that note, which is the cheeriest part of the show, <laughs> we're going to turn to Gary Lamaster. We used to call him Silent Gary, and and. Um, and talk about gun violence. I mean, I have a little different statistics than than uh, Karen does, but uh, I mean, uh, 12 people were killed in just Philadelphia and uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. 38 wounded, almost 40 people wounded. And I think we've got to remember that 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 being wounded is not good either. The fact you survive is great, but. But these gunshot wounds with modern weapons are, are really terrible. Well, on that note, Gary, run us down what's happening. We've done so many gun shows over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, and we started, I think, in like 2013. And nothing's gotten better, Gary. It's, it's gotten worse. Um, I'll just, you know, kind of highlight some of the, the statistics. There have been at least 16 mass shootings since the Uvalde school shooting. There are 12 mass shootings this past weekend alone. Um, Here in in the Twin Cities where I live now, um, there was another child, uh, a three-year-old, shot uh, in a neighborhood last night, critically wounded. And there have been eight, ten years of age or younger in that same neighborhood who have been critically wounded or killed since April. Um, One person is shot dead every 51 minutes in the U.S. Um, There's, uh, according to the Gun Violence Archive, which is the best source for for gun violence uh, information or data, nearly 20,000 Americans are killed each year by homicide or accidental shootings. Nearly 40,000 more suffer wounds, many of them horrific and debilitating, um, especially those from AR-15s, which have a unique type of high-velocity ammunition that that uh, fragments and tumbles inside the body. Um, another 25,000 Americans use guns to commit suicide each year. Um, Youth homicide rates in the U.S. are more than seven times that of other Western nations. And as of 2020, gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children. Um, all of that should be a, you know, a, a complete embarrassment for uh, all of us. Um, it, 
it should be uh, something that we uh, strive to to deal with uh, uh, every day to find solutions. A um, couple other um, highlights. Um, I'd say that um, um, there are now more guns in the hands of American civilians than there are people. We, we now have 393 million guns in America, and that's, that's growing. Uh, um, I should add, since uh, the uh, Uvalde uh, uh, school shooting, the uh, sales of uh, AR-15s have tripled since then. Um, it's now the most popular gun in America, has been for several years. Um, and it is truly, despite what the gun lobby and the NRA and others would tell you, it's they, they claim it's not an assault rifle, that it's not a military-style weapon. Uh, in fact, it was invented for the military and used by the the military for uh, for several years in Vietnam, and and uh, the current M16 is based on the AR-15. It's a horrific weapon designed to to uh, uh, more wound than kill, but the wounds, like I mentioned before, are, are absolutely horrific. Uh, if you read or, or talk to anybody, uh, any doctor who works in an ER, they can tell you that the wounds from an AR-15 are drastically different from from uh, wounds from any other type of gun. And uh, now we have a growing phenomenon in the uh, in the U.S. of um, you know even though uh, Biden has signed an executive order on banning ghost guns, um, that is um, there's an unknown number of untraceable ghost guns that are generally put together with uh, what are called uh, buy, build, shoot kits. They have no serial numbers; they're untraceable, and uh, many of the uh, of the you know worst gang members are using those with so-called Glock switches, which is a an inexpensive device that you can quickly add to the back of a gun, a handgun, to convert it to a fully automatic machine gun. And here in the Twin Cities, like every other major city, that is a, a growing phenomenon. It's, there's, there's, uh, it's the primary weapon now in, in, uh, in some neighborhoods. Well, that uh, that begins to sort of sum it up. Um, I did look at the American Psychology uh, website, American Psychological Association website. So they have lots of profiles of particularly the mass shooters like in Uvalde situation. But they they say that they can't really predict it. They don't have, uh, even though they have all these profiles and we've had all these shootings, they cannot predict somebody's going to to do that kind of thing. And I, I so given that we can't really predict and we can't really intervene at least a lot of the time before somebody actually commits the crime. We know they sound violent. We have people here in Sedona who sound extremely violent, like they're going to kill people. But there's nothing really much can be done until they act or until they directly threaten particular people, just sort of general threats on the Internet or next door or Facebook don't count. So if we can't predict 
who's going to do it, Gary? What measures are most important to take? Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, one of the, the uh, websites and projects that I have turned to that I think has got the best grasp of what's going on with with gun violence is a, is a group uh, called the Violence Project. It was co-founded by a couple of college professors here in St. Paul. Um, one is a psychologist and the other is a sociologist. Um, and they've spent, you know, many years studying gun violence and, uh, especially, uh, uh, mass shootings. And what they say about it is that it's, that the whole phenomenon is, is a really complex issue with no easy solutions. Uh, but they, they tend to focus. It's, it's not necessarily actually very few of the, of the shooters or perpetrators are uh, clinically mentally ill, which is what people want to focus on. The, the, the people that don't want to regulate guns want to, you know, write it off as all being mental illness. Um, but it's, it's really more societal, uh, you know, issues that it's people that are isolated, uh, depressed. There's, there's no one, uh, description of the individuals, but, uh, in general, uh, they're either isolated, depressed, um, they've been bullied, they're, they're victims of, of poverty, of other societal, uh, issues. And they're, they're often acting out of, uh, frustration and rage. But it also seemed the last two ones that almost all of those people tell somebody in some way. You know, they they post the things on the internet. They tell their friends. They tell another kid at school. They tell somebody in the family. And so somebody has heard this, has heard these people in writing or in person, express the desire to go and kill people, not just generalized violence, but specific threats. And it seems the one thing, the last two in, in uh, Buffalo and, and Uvalde that people can learn is that you you know you need to listen to that. But if a young man, because these are mostly young men sort of specifically says, you know, I'm going to go shoot, you know, someone at the school, I'm going to go shoot my coworkers, that people need to listen and not dismiss it. Ah, it's just like people say, you know, they use, I'm going to go kill somebody, you know, it's, but it's serious. We all need to listen. And if we hear someone say that, and it's some, you know, we need, we need to, you know, think about it and tell somebody and do something and not just write it off as, as just words. Yeah, I mean, you can contact the uh, police department folks if someone is making direct threats against particular people or even if they're just making wild threats that seem particularly intense and they're likely an unstable younger person, but sometimes into middle age, um, you can call the police. You can tell tell them that you're concerned and... um, I don't know, Karen, if anything will stop this, but there's no use uh, not trying everything we can think of. Uh, Stephen, do you have something to add? Uh, Well, you know, um, when when Barack Obama was president, um, it seemed like when I would post political uh, comments on Facebook, for instance, during that period between like 2009 and I guess the middle of his administration, it seemed like the biggest news stories, other, other than trying to get the ACA passed and get health care done, 
was all these mass shootings, specifically Sandy Hook, where he had that press conference and cried. And so that was kind of my number one hobby horse at that time was all this gun violence because I'm so anti-guns personally. We get Donald Trump in office and the number of issues and like draconian uh, things that the Republican Party is doing and perpetrating on the country is so vast that the gun issue kind of dropped down in importance on the priority list and people stopped focusing on it. I mean, if you really think about it, until these recent mass shootings, um, people weren't really discussing it much uh, as they were when Obama was president and Sandy Hook happened. And, uh, and the frustrating thing to me about the Democratic side is that uh, for any number of reasons, we just haven't done a good job counteracting their messaging, which the Republican Party has always been good at. I mean, their basic talent, if, if, they, if they governed as well as they message and manipulate the language to get people to uh, follow their policies, then, then we'd have a better democratic system in this country. But there's also real economic uh, reasons for, for the gun propaganda. Right. In other words, if you're a gun manufacturer, the, the thing is, folks, that you know, if you have a, a gun, say, from World War I, it can still fire. Right. Yeah. Guns last a long time. If you take care of them, you can have them forever. So they have to sell new guns. So they need to sell ammunition, and they need to every year, every event, scare more people into buying guns because the people who have guns, I mean, it, it's not like it, you know, it's going to last longer than your toaster. Yeah. 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 So there's a powerful economic engine behind the Republican and right-wing propaganda in favor of guns. But, you know, you know Stephen, you know, back in the early 19th century when um, – Major corporations were uh, had no regulations and were basically running the country. We had a movement in this country to regulate companies, to create unions so they wouldn't take advantage of workers. And we kind of reined in the run amok businesses. It, it's astonishing to me how this one industry has sort of been able to just do what they want. Nobody regulates them. Nobody controls it. We can't pass any laws. No. And it, it's just uh, incredible. That comes back to you know, money, not just the NRA, which essentially is really not representing hunters and shooters, which it used to be. And my dad joined the NRA when he was 12 years old back in the Depression. He was a was lifelong a, shooter. I was a member yeah. of the NRA but back they, in Oklahoma. They, yeah. yeah, they represented hunters and shooters. Now they represent manufacturers of guns, accessories, ammunition. And every time I just looking saw this recent poll and – 70-plus percent of Americans want to see some regulation on AR-15s. They think you need to have a permit to carry a concealed handgun. Um, they seem, they're in favor of red flag laws. They're in favor of raising the age to 21 to buy a gun. They're in favor of every gun purchase having a background check. You know, that's like 70 to 80 percent of the people believe in these things, even though at the same time, the same poll found 50% of Americans are afraid that any regulation will lead to possible further and confiscation. So even people that are afraid of government regulation are in favor of some of these. And I think it comes down to the bottom line is if every single American voted, we wouldn't have a problem. But a lot of these things, you know, for various reasons, the extreme in all of political, all political things is the extreme people 
than the primaries that get yeah, the political airtime. The, 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 yeah. the movement, the arc yeah. of, of guns is more and more guns and less and less regulations, less and less control. But not, not apparently, I've seen, not apparently when you ask the, you know, the guy on the street as opposed to the, you know, the politicians and the manufacturers. You, yeah. and, and you see, can't forget the, the, uh, the role that uh, the Republican propaganda plays in this. There's, the alignment of the NRA and the GOP has really created this problem beginning in the 80s when they started pushing conceal and carry laws across the country and when started pushing AR-15s because AR-15s are, are a, a very good source of income for the gun manufacturers. They, they make a lot of money off of those. And the, the right-wing propaganda, radio and and television, Fox News, et cetera, have really played a big role in that. And if you look at, you know, going back to the to the Uvalde and Buffalo shootings and thinking of solutions, uh, the uh, both of those could have been prevented by by universal background checks and red flag laws and a 30-day waiting period. And raising uh, the age to 21. Right. <laughs> yeah, and... The the whole idea of, of the, you know, to me, one of the key things is the waiting period because a lot of these mass shootings are done spontaneously when somebody just snaps um, and and decides to, to go out and buy a gun like the, the, the shooter in Tulsa at the, uh, at the medical facility. Uh, you know, he got angry at his, at his doctor and and went out and bought a gun and that day and and uh, went in and, and killed what, four people. Yeah. Um, yeah. These these things are common sense, but but there's been so much an effort by the NRA and the GOP to focus on the the uh, you know making guns, creating fear, and then making guns the the you know supposed solution. All that does is add to the violence. Um, it's, it's partly driven by, well, first of all, I want to add that there's uh, the majority of guns, or a large number of them, 84 million um, Americans uh, that, uh, well, 32% of Americans own guns, uh, many of them, you know, 10 or more, and many of those people are anti-government right-wingers who stockpile the guns and ammunition to protect themselves from our elected government, which makes no sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, there's this whole cowboy mythology, this fear of, of the government that's, that's driving a lot of this, and that's been driven by the, the propaganda. To, to pick up on what Gary's saying, you know, the, the, right, the Republican right-wing messaging is basically boils down to seven words, in response to what Karen was outlining and what Gary was just saying. They are coming to take our guns. That's what their response is to everything. It's what they do best. It's coming up with these buzzwords and phrases that scare the daylights out of people, especially the people that own guns. And, you know, we can go on and on and on, like we're doing now, talking about all of these totally common sense totally common sense ways to decrease this gun violence without 
making people feel like their their supposed rights are being infringed upon, but nothing's happening. And you know, the, I think there's something circulating. I know it's something circulating on the internet, which is like what is required to buy yeah, and drive a car, and what's right. required to buy a gun. Right. I mean, you have to have a license to drive a car. You have to have usually pass a test that you know what you're doing. Um, gun safety is is an issue. I mean, many of the people who are killed or seriously wounded, uh, particularly some of the children, it's done by the lack of gun safety training. The parents are not keeping their guns properly, there, and uh, and the people who are using guns are no longer trained in in how to take care of a gun. When when I was a kid, everybody knew who who hunted that you didn't put a shotgun lie it against a barbed wire fence when you climbed under there. It was the but a friend of mine, it was very wet, and he laid his gun against the fence, and it went off and killed his brother. So very early in life, I got a, a taste of of the seriousness of of uh, of guns. That that they probably did it a thousand times before and got away with it. Yeah. Even though they were they they knew it was against kind of common sense rules against all our training. But they did it anyway, and he, he lost his brother. And then it's too late. You know, Adrian Fontes is running for Secretary of State of Arizona in this next election, Democrat. Recently had a video that was picked up by Midas Touch, which constantly uh, does videos debunking Republican policies. He was, he was a, a, a firearms instructor in the military. And when he did this video, he pulled out a manual that looked like it was uh, the old Yellow Pages phone book that size and flipped through it and said, these are all the regulations and rules that guys in the military that he was instructing had to follow. And they had to go through it every couple of weeks. So these are military uh, people getting trained on all the things they need to know about working with and firing a weapon. And an 18-year-old doesn't need one iota of, of knowledge about this and can go in and buy it. Yeah, it's, it's just the, incredible. The other meme that's floating around is what you need to get a gun in Canada. And I remember lived there in the 80s. I'm not sure if those were the regulations. But my father was there. He was at the American Embassy. But as a target shooter, he was able to join a club and target shoot. So we had friends. It's possible to get a gun even in places like that. People who want to hunt, people mm -hmm. who want to do competitive target shooting, people who really feel they need one for protection. It's possible for everyone to get it. It just takes more than walking into a, a store and, handing, and putting down $500 because guns are not cheap. And walking back out, which is the other aspect on these, you know, to purchase a gun is expensive. I don't know what those AR-15s, these two young men purchased, but, you know, those About are... $1,500. Yeah, that was a couple thousand dollars of an expense. So it's not a cheap thing to do, but in lots of countries like Canada, which has some of the... Some of our traditions, certainly among the hunting sort of side, if you live in rural areas, people hunt. And regulations are not, don't stop people from being able to hunt. They don't stop people from joining a club or, or you know, going to a match and practicing their, you know, competing and target shooting. So it's all of these things are there. Most of these regulations would not impinge upon the life of the vast majority of Americans who already own guns and for whatever purpose they purchase them. Yeah. You know, it would it wouldn't make a difference in their lives. They would still have those guns. They would still be able to use them for the you know, the law-abiding purpose that they wanted them for. I don't think it, guys. I don't think any um, of the legislations would actually have much impact in terms of interfering with 
unnecessarily mm-hmm. with um, with carrying gun. Uh, I marched across from the UN, and uh, when the president would come to town, so, so uh, secret service would be everywhere. And one of my um, uh, clients at the bar. Uh, was walking down the street and the Secret Service uh, guy came up to him. He said, "What's in that uh, the brief- in your briefcase?" And he said, "Guns." He said, "I'm a target shooter." And uh, they said, "Okay, I'll walk you to the range. You're going to the range." <laughs> and he walked the guy to the range, and that was that. I mean, this and the president is there, and this guy is carrying the gun. They're just being careful. That's the most extreme restrictions you're going to run into right. for ordinary people. None of these things being proposed would be would, would be any kind of restriction on your right to protect yeah. yourself and your home. Yeah, because Arizona, I think, is one of, what is it, 26 states that have what they call constitutional carry. Mm-hmm. You, if you are an adult and you are a resident of the state, and maybe sometimes if you aren't, you can carry a concealed pistol. Before they passed that law a couple of years ago, the Arizona concealed carry permit was not hard to get. Anyone can still get it. At one point, you did have to go to an eight-hour class. You had to sit through a day-long class about gun safety and gun laws that exist about when you can fire your weapon, you know, the self-defense right. laws, and, and a little bit of instruction. And that's, you know, to my mind, that didn't cause an undue burden on right. anyone who wanted to purchase a weapon. Now, and when they initially, it was several days of training, but they whirled it down to just one day, and now it's nothing. Let's yeah. ask Gary. Gary, if there were... Two or three things you could do to restrict gun violence that had some sort of potential of passing, uh, because we've got to take in uh, account the politics of things. What would they be? Two or three? Is there are there two or three different things that would make a difference? Well, I think the uh, banning ghost guns is a is a big time start. Um, it's it's amazing to me that that we can. Uh, Purchase clock switches and bump stocks to convert semi-autos into uh, fully auto. Um, you know that that they're legally available. It's it's just beyond comprehension to me. Um, you know, I I keep getting emails from a manufacturer of of uh, uh, buy build shoot kits for to make uh, ghost guns. Why that hasn't been Made illegal from the from the very time it it began is beyond me. Um, but for other solutions, I would I would say universal background checks is a no brainer. Right. Red flag laws is a no brainer. A thirty day waiting period is very controversial, but I think that would be one of the the best things you could do. And liability insurance for for gun owners, I think would be uh, something that would that would uh, provide a lot of sensible uh, ownership of guns. I'd, I'd like to point out too that, if quickly as I used to teach self-defense classes for many years and how to deal with with uh, somebody who had a gun, disarms that sort of thing. So I put a great deal of study into this, and I maintain that the guns are not defensive, they're offensive. If, if someone comes up to you and pulls a gun, points it at you, unless they're close enough for you to disarm them or far enough away for you to run, the fact that you have a gun is absolutely meaningless. You can't defend. You'll be dead by the time you, you pull your gun. 
and in the gun violence archive points that out that that uh, we have uh, uh, you know the the number of defensive uses of guns um, which is the big myth I can I can buy a gun for defense that is two-thirds of the number of unintentional shootings in in the uh, country each year so you're more likely if you own a gun to unintentionally shoot someone or yourself than to use it to defend yourself against a, a, another person. Interesting. Now, Gary, let's let's go to, we're running out of time. Let's go, Karen, your, your ideas, and then we'll go to Stephen. No, all of those seem good. I've heard rumors that even, even Governor Ducey here in Arizona, who's certainly a, not an anti-gun governor and a conservative Republican has thought again about introducing some red flag laws, maybe having the legislature do a special, ses- a special session. He tried that after the uh, Parkland shooting in Florida. There was a special session. The laws went nowhere. They could not. He couldn't even as a Rep- conservative Republican could not get enough support with his own party to pass a red flag law in Arizona. And that does seem to be, you know, it doesn't work out. People say, well, anybody, an anonymous tip and the police will take my guns away. No, even those laws require the police then to get you to do things, to find out about the person before they actually take the guns away. There's usually some kind of a psychological assessment. It, you know, it's not just a matter of, oh, you know, I, you know, my ex-husband has a gun. I hate him. I'm going to call up the police and make them take his guns away. It doesn't work that way. It's it's the first of a step of things, and it doesn't permanently confiscate guns. It may take them away temporarily whilst finding out if somebody actually does have an issue that could be helped in some way. You do have to investigate because otherwise, yeah. like everything else in our culture and, and world, everything can be misused, you know. So um, – uh, revenge fantasies and stuff could it, you could mis, you could misuse it and say, call in and say somebody's dangerous. So you really do have to have some process to weed that out, Stephen. You know all these all these potential laws that we we're, we're talking about here. We've known that these are, in our opinion, been no-brainers for years. I mean, we've talked about them ad infinitum, the background checks, all that stuff. At the risk of opening up a can of worms at the end of your show, um, the one issue that I feel... We that, like worms, okay. Yeah, yeah. That gets lost in the shuffle in this whole societal uh, discussion like about mental health is parenting issues. You know, we have all these kids that are killing people, 18 to 21-year-olds using guns and killing people, and where are the parents? You know, when the Republican Party used to go out there and say, you know, in the inner city... We have all these African-American youth, you know, perpetrating crime. Where, how come there's, a, there's all this bad parenting? Well, there's, there's bad parenting when the 18-year-old kids are running around with AR-15s and killing uh, children in schools. And it's very hard for parents to know, even if they have a violent child or older child, it's very hard to know if that's really going to if the person is really violent. Um, and that's what I got from the psychological studies is they can tell you're a possible, a possibly mm. violent person. They can even see that you fit the profile. Mm. They can't predict that you're right. going to do it. So we've got one minute left. Um, Gary, you want to give us a one minute of wisdom and then we'll sign off for today. Check, check out two uh, websites. Uh, the one I think most important because it has a lot of, of uh, data and uh, and solutions 
is the Violence Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a book by that name by the, the two founders of the organization. Also, check out the Gun Violence Archive. And uh, then um, I think, you know, the, the point about uh, uh, parenting, I think, is well taken. But we need a lot of social pro- uh, programs to help those parents, that many of them that are working two jobs and, and aren't around for their kids. Yep. Um, there's, there's just a, a dearth of, of social programs, and we've cut the uh, funding, the GOP. Thank you for being with us, folks. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, listen to us next week. We've got a great show, all lined up. Listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.